Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode 50. So Brooke, it is episode 50 and today's show is going to be an Ask Us Anything show, but (laughs) before we get into those questions from the lovely people in our Let It Be group on Facebook, I would just like to take the opportunity to say a huge thank you to you because 50 episodes of Let It Be adds up to basically 50 sessions of therapy for me. And, you know, so and having been able to chat with you on a weekly basis over the past year has, you know, it's, it's been a huge treat, but it has also legitimately changed my life in a positive way. So I know you're dying of embarrassment right now. Um, thank God we're not looking at each other because you'd be slapping me. But, yeah, I just wanted to take that opportunity to just, yeah, to say thank you. Oh, Kel, thank you. No, I agree with you entirely that this has been like a game changer, this <laughs> podcast. Seriously. I think we kind of covered it off at the end of last year. The, all the ways we feel like things have solidified or become clearer over the, like, as a result of having these conversations. And yeah, honestly, I didn't expect that when we started our podcast. I just No, me neither. Like I knew it would be wonderful. Yeah, I thought it would be two good friends having a lovely chat each week about yeah. things that you know, about kind of philosophical navel gazy things which we yeah. love doing but nobody else will do with us. Um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I didn't expect it to yeah, have the effects on my life that it did. So yeah. No, likewise. So thank you. I'm glad I'm I'm glad to do it every week. I really am. And I missed I missed I missed doing it when we took yeah. a break over Christmas. I really genuinely missed it. Because I think, you know, you say you get therapy from me, but what I get from you is this dose of like sanity and clarity and you're so <laughs> ordered and I'm so not (laughs) (laughs) and I found myself thinking about things in a really different way and considering things that I've always thought uh you know I'm just it's just not who I am I won't do that because you speak about you know uh like scheduling for example with such enthusiasm um and while I think you and I have quite different ways of processing and and doing I think there's a lot of a lot of commonality there too yeah maybe I could schedule things more (laughs) anyway so you've definitely changed things for me and in the same way I I can go maybe you don't have to try and predict the future all the time and control the future (laughs) maybe you can just let the future happen Kelly and go with it when it does and oh I mean that's been the game changer for me the the not living in the future so much Mm. the ability to live more here in the present and watch the future take care of itself and watch in wonder at the fact that things never happen how I think they're going to happen anyway. So why spend all that time and energy angsting and obsessing about it only to get there and go, oh, phew, that thing didn't happen. (laughs) But, you know, I've already lived it. So that was such a waste of energy. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> very mutual admiration society, which is, yeah, maybe exactly. that's why this podcast works. Um, so as I said, we uh, threw it out to the members of our Let It Be Facebook group 
to say literally ask us anything and we got some really really cracking questions and one of my favorites is definitely this first one from Annette which is and of course I'm going to make you answer first Brooke um, <laughs> what's what's the thing you're proudest of about yourselves that isn't measurable hmm. for me it's the fact that I've, I've over time managed to change the stories I tell mm. myself about myself, I, yeah, that's something that I, and that's not as far as I'm concerned measurable, you know, but I would tell myself stories about the person that I was in terms of stress or the way I dealt with anger. Like I just had a temper. That was just me, you know, and, and happiness and parenting and values and my purpose, all of those things. I told myself these stories and for better or worse, they were quite confining, you know, um, and I've learned over time to question those stories and, and stop telling them altogether in a lot of ways. And for me, that's just allowed so much change in the past 12 months that I never expected I'd be able to make. And it's hard for me to say that I'm proud of myself for anything just because it goes against, you know, just, that's a story I'm still working on, let's be yes. fair. But I wouldn't have said it a year ago, put it that way. And I am, I'm proud of that. And I think that it's had, the flow-on effect has been enormous, much bigger than, than the, the change itself, which is something that I am proud of. What about you? I think for me, it's the creation of white, what I call white space or what you, know, mm-hmm. what you call buffer or, or you call it margin and other people call it buffer. Yeah, it's such a weird non-tangible thing Mm. but yeah these just pockets of space that I've got littered all throughout the day with that just allow me to regroup and be closer to the person that I aspire to be and it's it it allows me to be more present for my family I'm still nowhere near as great at that as I would like to be I would love to be much more present when I'm present when I'm in their presence I am still a can be a little bit vague and lost in thought because I'm someone that lives in my head at the best of times you know so even Mm. when life is great I would rather be in my head than anywhere else yeah and but that's not great for the people around you and yeah so this the creation of this real intangible amount of space throughout my day and in my life just allows me to pull my back myself back into the present when I can and so when I'm talking to my kids um, and they're telling me a story like I I'm able to now like look them right in the eye and be fully fully there for them and I can just see how much they appreciate that mm. so yeah it's that yeah, that amount of white space. There's just, there's no number you can put on it. There's no like I'm going to aim for two hours of white space today. No, like, there's no like optimal amount or no. Yeah. It's just a thing, and it's such yeah, and it's something like I wish for everybody. Like I try to communicate to people about it and how to create it, and even how unpa- unpacking the dishwasher is white space because yeah. you know when when no one's talking to you and everyone's in like I posted something on Instagram the other day that I said you know that unpacking the dishwasher can be a blissful kind of moment <laughs> um, if everyone's in another room and not talking to you but 
and it sounds so stupid and so mundane, but just that little mundane activity of unpacking the dishwasher when no one's talking to you then means that once everything is put away and then they all kind of come rushing back into the room, like I have the ability to be then very present to them. Yep. So, yeah. No, I think I don't think it sounds silly or mundane at all. I think that that's, like, that's the basis of, yeah, of white space and, and mindfulness and single tasking and all those things that just give us those pockets and those yeah. little tiny pockets of time can be – they can feel really insignificant, but they really do add up and they add up to something more than the sum of its parts, I think. Absolutely. Which then, again, the flow-on effect is is enormous and, and kind of is felt all the way through different areas of life. That's it. And, yeah, and I think what I do like about it is the fact that it's – I'm such a goal-oriented person and, you know, you put something in front of me or you put a number in front of me and say, achieve that, then I, I'll do it. I'll do anything I can mm. too. So for me, it, it is such a thing. It's a lovely thing to – have something that there's no numbers around, there's no goal orientation or achievement orientation around it. It's just this beautiful, lovely thing that is a bit in the either and, yeah, it's it's quite nice. Okay, so Lisa said, if you could have any job, what would it be? And she said, you can't say what you're doing right now. (laughs) It's difficult (laughs) for both of us because we kind of are doing what we want to (laughs) do. Pretty much. I think... I mean, I know this might be cheating. Okay, I've got a few, actually. <laughs> I would love to be a professional mountain town reviewer. <laughs> Just travel around like Canada and the Alps and Japan and all through the Rockies and just review mountain towns. Just <laughs> spend a month in each, pick up the vibe. What's the coffee like? What are the, yeah, what's the, the library and the, the whole scene like? That would be like my ideal job, but it's not actually a job. So, um, but you know what? I would, I have always wanted to be like a, a gardener or a, you know, a small scale farmer, like a, a hobby farmer. I yeah. don't know if the reality of that would be what is in my head, but that's something that I've always wanted to do is like have an outdoors, hands in the earth kind of job. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What about you? So I have two, one sort of practical and one really not (laughs) so the first one is I would love to be the personal assistant to like a favorite writer so a writer like I don't know a Liz Gilbert or a Gretchen Rubin or a Brené Brown or a Mark Manson or you know there's a few out there who whose writing I love and aspire to and I would love to be their personal assistant so that I have direct access to them because that was just gonna make me a better writer and yeah so that unbridled access to their brains and everything that's in them because I also admire them as people as in yeah. how they think and their values etc but then my other one is I'd love to be a tennis mum like a, <laughs> a <laughs> no, but not just any tennis mum like a tennis mum of like a top 10 player <laughs> that would be really excruciatingly stressful but it would also be my favorite job in the world because I would just get to, I love tennis. So we've just come out of the Australian Open. Roger Federer has just won. I think I wanted Roger Federer to win more than he wanted to win. I was That's <laughs> my, the level of investment I had in it. So I've always, always loved tennis. I've, I've played it briefly. I, did, I don't enjoy playing tennis because it, it doesn't go well with my perfectionist nature. Um, yes. you know, in tennis, like, you know, you 
there's not a lot of room for error. Um, I need yep. things like running where there's, yeah, there's a lot of room for error. You constantly compete um, yourself. Uh, yeah. Against your, yeah. 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 But I've always loved watching tennis, my favorite sport in the world. And I always look at the people in the coach's box and I go, look, I understand that the anxiety levels in there must be off the charts, but you guys have the best job <laughs> in the world and I want to be you. So <laughs> That's you really go, cool. Lisa. <laughs> That's a good question, though. I like that question. <laughs> oh, everyone has asked really, really good questions. They have. I'm so pleased. Really interesting things. Um, so Helen and Katrina kind of together asked a similarish kind of question, which I love because this is a real passion point for me, and I feel like this is kind of the the intersection of where I write at on my personal blog. So they asked, "How do you balance your needs and your aspirations and goals?" with your families and your significant others because as Mm. Katrina notes she said you know what she finds is that if anything comes up around being a mum or a wife like those things take precedence over any kind of personal goals and aspirations she has herself right yeah yeah I mean it's it's a huge question it really is and for me the way I've managed to balance it is that I don't balance it I, I tilt. Like that's something I sort of talk about quite a bit. And I think that tilting becomes more of a comfortable notion the longer you do it, because initially it feels like you're compromising way too much in someone else's favor by tilting towards their needs whenever it's necessary. But if I view my life over the past year, two years, three years, where I've really embraced the idea of tilting into where I need to be and willfully not paying attention to other areas of life for a moment, then I can see that over a period of that one, two, three years, things really are balanced. Like they really genuinely are balanced over a long period of time. So for me, it's been letting go of the like immediate notion of balance, mm-hmm. which is being spread evenly across everything, you know, getting <laughs> and being my amazing goals at them all. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and to me that, that idea, that notion of, of daily work-life balance is really damaging. It was for me. And when I let go of it and realized that I don't need to be balanced every day or even every week, but maybe every six months, sure, you know, let's make sure that that is a balanced period of time. There was a big relief for me then. And I think the other thing that's really helped me to accept the fact that sometimes I just, I'll miss out and other times other people will miss out is understanding that regardless of how, frustrating it feels or how hamstrung I feel it is a choice you know I am choosing my actions based on other people's needs and on my needs and there's you know there's a a liberation in that choosing to say well I'm, I'm giving my attention to the kids who might be sick or they need help with school or you know my partner's got a really busy period at work so I'm picking up some of the slack at home or like whatever it is but understanding that's a choice and there's also the opposite side of that choice too you know and I think for me that's been really really helpful it's completely imperfect and doesn't probably won't appeal to a lot of people's sort of sense of order but for me that's where I've found like I've found a freedom I think what about you? I, just I feel thinking, like you're I'm gonna have a, you. a much much different approach I just think that's the most Brooke answer I've ever heard. <laughs> I just, you know, I just go with it. And, <laughs> and 
to be, yeah. Yes, of course, yeah. I, I take a more orderly aspect to it purely yes. because that's my personality. And I, the, the way that I've come at it is because it, I look back to pre-kids and everything that I wanted to go after, I went after in a very, very single-minded way um, to the detriment of pretty much everything else in my life. Um, I did my work well, but my relationships... I could have been better at that. And, you know, I was lucky to have a quite a tolerant partner in Ant in that he's like, well, this is just Kelly. This is how she does things. If I love her, I have to embrace this aspect of her. And that's, I think, one of the lovely things about Ant is he never mm-hmm. really asked me to change who I am for him. But that said, it's – so it's – you know, so it was all well and good to do that, but certainly once kids came along, that's when I realized, okay, um, I can't take this single-minded approach to things anymore. Yep. And so the way that and the way I made peace with that, because there was great tension. So the first thing I did was then just try to be awesome at everything. <laughs> <laughs> I tried that approach, and it didn't work very well for me at all so then I had to go right so then I drilled right down to what are the most important things for me and then yeah I want to be a good wife and a good mother so I kind of put boundaries around those and I said right these this is my wife and mother time and when I'm doing that I'm doing that well and here this over here this is my Kelly stuff time like this is when Mm -hmm. I do my writing and my exercise and I've kind of set boundaries in so far as I go right the hours that I get up early so those hours between 4 15 and 7 everybody knows that's my time and it's it's not for anybody else to intrude into Um, and I've set that very firm boundary with my family and then of course things bleed between those things and that's like my go with the flow right (laughs) concession like I because you can't set firm boundaries around everything that's that's not realistic and certainly there are times where say work is just crazy and needs much more of me than I would like it to and in which times I might have to back off a bit on writing or I might you know the kids might have to go to my parents for the weekend so that and I can catch up on stuff so that's not ideal for us that's when we see our kids on the weekends but we have to make that concession. So that's what I'm talking about, bleed. Like it's, yeah. I do set boundaries, but I also accept that there's going to be bleed here and there between everything. And the other thing is I've gotten better at understanding that while I can do anything, I can't do everything. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff I could achieve if I wanted to. The other thing is I don't get sucked into other people's dreams for me. To other people going, oh, you would be so amazing at this. You should do this. And I used to get sucked into that a lot in the past. And now I'm much, much better at going, okay, no, that's that's great. And that would be fantastic to achieve. But that's much more your dream than my dream. I am much more invested in this. So this is a thing that I'm going to pursue at this point in time. So it's also, yeah, getting clear on the fact that, yeah, going after fewer things and making sure that those things are the things that you yourself are really invested in and then kind of creating time. And I think that's the, the, the important thing about boundaries and about making it a regular thing. So if it's something that you do when, when you've got time, your family won't respect that. 
and they'll see it as stealing time from them. Whereas if it's something where the whole family knows that, oh, on Mondays between 4 and 7 p.m., mum does this. Yeah. And you do it every single week without fail, are you barring like your kids in hospital? They're far more respectful of that than the, you know, when mum has time, she does this. And, yeah, it's a different kind of conversation. That's what I find. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree completely with all of that. Like I think that boundaries are important, not only for for them but for you as well because, as you say, then you, you really commit to that time you know be yeah if you're working towards a particular goal or a project or or whatever the case may be I think that having a boundary it sort of signals to everyone that this is important and this is something that they all need to pay attention to and communicating it as well I think is key because if you don't communicate yes. it and just in your head you've set the boundary yes. and no one else is aware <laughs> of it then you're going to get resentful and they're going to not understand why why, why is mum so angry? You know, yeah. why, why doesn't she want to talk to me? Why can't I go into the office? Whatever it is. So I think, you know, setting up a couple of really clear boundaries and then sticking to it and communicating it really clearly is probably a good place to start. Yeah. And I think, you know, look at it from the, you know, if, if you struggle to prioritize doing things for yourself, cause you see that as selfish, which is a very hard story to rewrite, mm-hmm. maybe reframe it as modeling to your kids. You know, you model to your kids that there are things that are important in life and the things that are important in life, you set aside time to do those things. And then here are kind of the rewards. And it's it, it, simple as, you know, going for a run every morning like our kids see aunt and I go off for runs every, you know on alternate mornings and then uh, you know and then the kids come and watch me do a park run or they come and watch me do a running race and it's spun out to them that you know oh so mummy goes runs in the mornings and it's because she wants to do these things yeah and you know, they go oh where'd you come today mum and you know or you know hey did you do as good as you wanted to and we get to have those conversations and they know it's really important to me and they become quite invested in it and then they go oh you know maybe I'll be able to do this one day as well so I think it's really good modeling as well for mm. kids to see that yeah you you know yes you're their mum but you also have your your thing as well my kids know very very much that running is my thing and writing is my thing yeah I think that's that's really really important, absolutely. Because then the, the expectation that you'll just be there whenever, and you know what, if it's important, you will be. But like at their beck and call is not necessarily the case. You know, just because they want your attention in that moment doesn't mean that you're always going to give it to them. And I think that's really a really healthy yes. boundary for kids to grow yeah. up understanding as well. You are more than, you know, their their. The hand servant, yeah, really, exactly, well, you know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, very exactly. easy to be that person. I mean, I, I totally I've done it with my kids, certainly, and I've had to kind of adjust with that. So, yeah, th- th- I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, so Alex asked about how did you guys end up defining your values and passions that you guide your life towards, and so um, we did cover that in the last episodes, and episode mm-hmm. forty nine was all about values. But I'll just quickly recap my favorite one, my bit, and it's the bit from a Mark Manson article where he says, What's, what flavor of shit sandwich do you like eating? <laughs> you know, would you like an olive with that? And which he's saying, like, you know, what are you kind of willing to endure discomfort for? That's a good indicator that it's something that you value quite highly and the things that you're a bit, meh, you know, easy come, easy go about not as high a value for you as you think it is. Yeah, I think that's a, a really 
awesome way to kind of sum it up. I really do. <laughs> Good summary. So cool. So I'll go on to Claire. Claire um, kind of asked a few questions, but the core of it kind of was, do you guys practice what you preach? <laughs> and you go, Brooke. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. You know, it's imperfect, but I also preach that too. So, yes. you know, I, I, all the things that I talk about, I do because – you know, I like I said, I don't do them perfectly and I don't always do them consistently, which sometimes has me feeling like a hypocrite. I'm not going to lie. Yes. Yep. But, you know, I think that we're really clear and open about the fact that sometimes life just happens in a way that isn't necessarily going to play out the ideal kind of way we want. In fact, most of the time that's the case. But all of the things that I talk about are just incredibly central to to the way that we live and if ever I get to a point where I'm moving away from them and not practicing those things I know it (laughs) like I really really know it and I can really feel it and I really feel the loss of them you know and there's a reason like I'd have to be incredibly passionate and enthusiastic about the things that we talk about to have done it for you know five years (laughs) yeah (laughs) and not be tired of it like it's to me it's just there's just so much value in living a slower simpler more intentional kind of life that I see in my life day in and day out uh, to the point where I, I just I still want to talk about it. I still want to, to share it with people. What about you? Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm the same. I, I do, the, again, the perfectionist in me sometimes catches me out doing something that is not in line with what I preach and kind of is tempted to really get on my back about it and go, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you talk to people about this and then you're not doing it yourself. But for the very, very most part, I do, but I'm also, I've learned to be a bit kinder to myself and I've learned to be a bit more realistic about the fact that life is life and it, you know, shit happens and when shit happens, yeah. you deal with it and then you get back to living, you know, the simpler, less frantic life that yeah. you want to, you know, that you want to lead. So, and I think that that's the key to it is absolutely, I think we, I'm not saying that Claire's trying to do this. I'm saying that we live in a bit of a gotcha culture now where Mm -hmm. a lot of social media and a lot of the press is about catching people out doing things they said people shouldn't do or that they don't do. And we've just got to be careful not to buy into that and apply it to ourselves and think that if we are not perfect at doing X, then we shouldn't do it at all. Like I'm not perfect at living a life less frantic, but I do it more often than not. And when I'm not doing it, I recognize it for what it is and then I just make the adjustments. But I, I definitely don't beat myself up about it anymore, about yeah. not being that person. I just, yeah, I make the adjustment and, and move on. So, yeah, and I, I've gotten very – I've gotten better as well at not trying to catch other people out at being, you know, not doing their thing perfectly. But I think it's just recognizing the humanity of, of it all. You know, no one is perfect. Like no one's yeah. going to have everything on lockdown always and forever. And even if they're super passionate and consistent in one area of life, doesn't mean that that applies sort of across the board either. You know, like the person who came to mind immediately was Sarah Wilson, who yeah. is as passionate and enthusiastic and single-minded about, you know, healthful diet as anyone. But she writes really openly and freely and honestly about her battles with anxiety and, you know, the fact that she does work herself into the ground sometimes and it's to her detriment, you know, and I think that yeah, it's really important to to kind of understand that no one's got everything sorted out. And something that you said a second ago, kind of viewing it over a period of time as well is a mm. much better indication of how aligned 
you are living your life, you know, view it over a period of a month or six months or a year and say, how, how did that stack up over that period of time? Not looking at yourself in potentially a period of really high stress or overwhelm and judging yourself on that. I think that's really unfair to, to do that to yourself as well. Definitely. So Siobhan asked, um, she said, my husband only listens to people who aren't me. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what episode or blog or other people's books would you recommend for helping him keep organized things like only, you know, like touch it once. And if it takes less than a minute, do it now. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I worship at the altar of Gretchen Rubin for the most yep. part. And basically all of Gretchen's stuff is very practical, incredibly doable, well-researched, and she's a very much doesn't really suggest doing things unless she's done them herself with, you know, the odd exception here and there. So her Happiness Project book, her Better Than Before book, and her podcast, those are really, really great places to start for me. Yeah, they were were top of my list as well uh, because it's practical and actionable and, and, you know, incredibly well backed up by a lot of years of research and personal experience. The other people who I do, who I would recommend is Paul Jarvis. I really like mm-hmm. his yeah. approach to pretty much everything and Carl Honoré's books as well. They're a bit less uh, on the practical side, but there's so much food for thought there. And he also did, depending on what, what the aim is for people, but he did a, a one-off episode of a show called Frantic Family Rescue on the ABC a couple of years ago now. And it was amazing. I still talk and think about it a lot. So if ever anyone's kind of looking for inspiration for other members of their family, perhaps, um, it was it was actually really well worth looking at. Um, yeah, so I'd recommend that too. And I'll link to all of those in the show notes as well uh, if you want to head over there. Awesome. Brianna asked about mindfulness. So she says, I regularly practice mindfulness and it's wonderful, but I often find myself getting angry and frustrated at other people's lack of mindfulness. And she kind of highlights carelessness. So she says, I don't enjoy Mm. feeling this way. I don't believe it's particularly useful. Do you have any suggestions for how I could think about these situations differently? Um, I think it's, I think, I think from my experience anyway, that that's really natural to sort of come through that discovery of mindfulness in yourself and start to then look around and wonder why other people aren't in the same situation as us. Uh, So for me, it's been helpful to first of all, understand that not everyone's in the same place. And I completely agree with Brenna that it's, it's not helpful or, or healthy or positive to start to kind of breed that resentment almost, I guess, Mm. that other people aren't in the same place as us. And then kind of recognizing that we can't change it. We can change yeah. our reaction. We can, we can change our response. We can change our thoughts and feelings around it, but we can't change what other people do. And I think as frustrating as it can be to have someone say, be the example rather than, you know, <laughs> and it is, it's yeah, really, yeah. it's infuriating when someone's like, you can't change someone, but you just have to lead by example. And you're like, yeah, but can't I just lecture them and they'll just get it? <laughs> Typically, I have found that that's not the case, you know, so I think for me, it's, it's a matter of just owning my reaction and my response and trying really hard to view the world with, with and other people with empathy and, and compassion and understanding rather than sort of resentment or, or anger at the fact that 
they're not where we are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how helpful that is because it's, it can be unsatisfying sometimes to yeah. go, well, I'm just, I can't, you know, I, I'm just going to sit here and, and be me. But that's what I've found. That's where I found the most peace, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. What about you? Yeah, I think that is exactly the word. So I think the biggest thing that I've achieved, if there's the word is achievement, in the past year is a level of acceptance. And I'm writing about it at the moment. So acceptance is something that's kind of forefront of my mind. And it's the peace that comes with that acceptance of, of just accepting the world for how it is as opposed to how we would like it to be, yeah. accepting people for who they are as opposed to how we would like them to be, you know, within reason. If some sure. if someone's a, racing, you know, a raging bigot, then you kind of go, okay, I'm not accepting oh, of who you are and yes. I'm going to not be in your company. But the people that we love, for the most part, they're not going out of their way to be jerks it might just be how their brains work it's different things are important to them than are important to you and that's yeah I've just become a lot I think through mindfulness ironically through mindfulness and meditation I have achieved a level of calm that then allows me to be more accepting of other people and who they are and that's what allows me to you know not give them a complete leave pass but at least just go I'm not going to get yeah, it's more myself, my own response. Instead of getting angry at them and stewing about it and being resentful of their behavior, I'm much more able to go, you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> um, and that's very freeing. It, t- it takes a while to get there. And it's just a practice thing, basically. And it's almost a mindfulness practice yeah. to be able to go, yeah, I'm faced with this person who's just giving me the shits. And now I'm just going to, and it's not even biting your tongue thing. It's just a they are, they are who they are. It is what it is. I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. For me, I kind of almost put it in a, a bubble in my brain or a yeah. box or whatever and just say, yeah, I see this. I see what's happening here. I acknowledge it. I accept that, you know, my response is to feel frustrated or angry at you, but I'm not going to let that be the case. And you're absolutely right. For me, meditation is, I, it's, I don't know if it's a skill or, you know, a, a way of thinking or a, a you know a learnt kind of behavior tool, yeah I kind of look at it as a but, tool <laughs> yeah with meditation I'm able to do that now as I'm, I'm meditating I put my thoughts like I see them they don't just disappear when I meditate yeah. they come in they try and get my attention I'm like yeah I see you over there and I'm not engaging with you and I feel like that's a skill that I've been able to bring into other areas of my life over time mm. and in that way it, it's definitely helped I agree yeah that's yeah hope so I hope, I hope that's helpful Brian. it's a really tough one as Brooke said it's completely natural so don't beat yourself up for it no, but not ultimately at all. yeah we can only we can only manage our own responses and, and not those of other people <laughs> Jane's got a one here I want an answer to myself um hopefully Brooke can help she says do you have any do you have any tips on getting kids to listen to you as in hearing you and doing things the first or second time you are so it doesn't escalate to yelling she says my frustration is at an all-time high being the last week of the school holidays Um, I would say one thing here Jane figure out if you've not come across Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies yet kind of either get your kids to do that or apply those questions to them because I've got one obliger child and one rebel child (laughs) and the obliger child just does everything I ask him without question without argument he does it the first time it's magical 
my rebel child does nothing, nothing that I ask her the first time. Just She just flat out doesn't. And it drives me insane. But because of Gretchen's four tendencies, even though I still do get angry at her and I do say in frustration to her quite often, Mia, why can't you just do it the first time I asked you and have a little, you know, little complete breakdown. The fact is I understand that again, she's just, she's not being obstructive and she's not being a jerk kid. Like her brain just works differently to my obliger yeah. child who's willing to just do anything I ask him. And there's, there's strengths and benefits to both. So like when she grows up, she ain't going to do anything unthinkingly. So she's not going to be led astray very easily. But right now, it's killing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good that you can see, though, that there's going to be pros <laughs> to her strong willedness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A little bit more challenging at maybe at her age. <laughs> I think that's actually a really good point. Because so I, I haven't done that. I hadn't thought to do that with our kids. But I think that mm. that's a really, yeah, that's actually a really good thing. I'm going to do that. I've written it down. Mm. So our kids are both quite different too in what they'll respond to in terms of instructions or requests or whatever. But honestly, uh, my main go-to in order to, to not have to ask things a hundred times is I count down from three to one. Yeah. Yeah. Or actually one to three. Cause they, my kids learned yeah. um, how to count and they'd say one, I'm up to two, three, four. <laughs> That's what I say. One, I'm up to two, three, all right, and now we, you know, now there's some kind of consequence, and that's it. Like I, I really try very hard to not let it get to that point of escalation. Doesn't always work, mind you, yeah. but uh, that helps me a lot. And they're used to it, and it's kind of just become the way that I ask for things if I have to ask a second time, and it works like I don't know, eight times out of ten, something like that. But I think your point about the the tendencies for kids is a really, really good one. Um, and I'm going to do that. So yeah, it helps a lot with the frustration. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Like I said, if, if you think your child is just being deliberately obstructive or they have behavioral problems, you deal with it far differently than if you go, hang on, look, this is just how they are. This is who they mm. are. And I have to work with it better. But um, yeah, I too resort to counting. And it, it's very gratifying when you just go, one, and then they just jump into it. Yeah. And you go, yeah, I didn't, even, didn't have to get anywhere near three. It's brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> it's pretty rare uh, that I get to three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I really love Jackie's question, and this is going to be the last one. So I think it's a really good one to end on, and I can't wait to hear your response, Brooke, is what is the one dream you hope to achieve this year but fear you may not? I don't know how to answer this one, to be perfectly honest. I really struggle. I'm really, really struggling because I think for me, there's two really sort of disparate areas of my life and that's kind of almost on purpose, my work and, and my other life, you know, <laughs> and I've kind of, because I don't like the, the idea of separating work and life and work-life balance and all that kind of stuff, but I'm almost loath to say either to give a work-related dream because I'm like my life isn't just about my work but then all my kind of family or or other areas of life related dreams like they're not developed enough for me to feel like I can talk about them (laughs) what do um, do you not have a five-year plan (laughs) yeah yeah so like you know I there's so my work (laughs) one is really making them putting book on the I'm really struggling yeah I really am honestly Uh, I want my books to sell well 
but mm-hmm. you know what then that's not really in my control so I don't yeah. feel like I can put that as a dream of mine that I'm scared won't come true because like I can do all the work involved in in publishing and making a really good book that I'm proud of that I think people will like but if they don't sell they don't sell like I can't force people to buy things so that's not really on me but I think (laughs) I want to make this year a an enormous change in life like a a a change that Ben and I will look at ourselves (laughs) look at each (laughs) other and go are we seriously doing this is this really what we're going to do and you know it's it's scary to think that that might not happen. It's also scary to think that it might happen. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't know. That's Ooh. probably a really unsatisfying answer, but that's kind of all I can say at the moment. What about you? I don't know. That's fair enough. That's, that's pretty good for you, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> See, Brooke, did, Brooke does not like to commit to things. <laughs> that's true. That is true. <laughs> um, it's a perceiver thing. They like to keep their options open. <laughs> so... I, I wrote on my blog recently that I have an eight-year plan for my writing on my blog, (laughs) which I haven't really shared with people because eight-year plans kind of freak people out. But it has – and it's all based on the fact that, yeah, I have – when I first started writing on the internet, you know, six and a half-ish years ago, I noticed a – pattern so the people who had achieved quite good penetration and traction had been writing for around the four to five year mark before they achieved that and then the people who kind of had gone big it seemed to happen around the seven or eight year mark and when I say big I mean kind of global so they went from you know that I don't know 20, 25,000, 50,000 people reading their blog each week to like, you know, 100,000 and up, yeah. you know. And that I've seen that play out again and again and again. And of course, there are people who do it faster and slower, but I have seen that general rule pan out too many times to ignore. So I, um, yeah, I set myself an eight year plan with my writing and things have, you know, so I've, I've come through the six-year mark of that now. So my, I guess, fear is that like over the next year of writing, my writing, because my goal for this year is to be so good people can't ignore you, like to take my Mm -hmm. writing to that level. And my fear is that I am not as good a writer as I think. Right, okay. And that I might not achieve that. Yeah, so yeah, that's. That's it. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, mate, eight years. I don't know sounds, what country I'll be in. It sounds really years. demotivating, but it. No, no, it, it doesn't. It's just, yeah, I, for you, I get it. Like, that's. <laughs> So it's you. kind of the whole kick, you know, when you get to, you know, when it, when you reach a plateau and you go, oh, I'm stuck at this number of subscribers or this number of yep. people reading my blog each, it's what's gotten me through because I'm like, this is part of the process. Like you yeah. get a jump and you hit a plateau and you get a jump and you hit a plateau, but you can't get to that, you know, the big reach and traction that you want without pushing through those things. So that's what's kind of kept me kept me pushing through but yeah this Mm. is I've I've made a really big commitment to myself this year that I feel like the last kind of two years have been quite um full-on life-wise so I've just done what I can with what I have right here right now um and I took that I've taken that approach to writing and it's been fine I my writing has gotten better and but it's still not the the gap between where I am and where I want to be 
is I, I, I know how to close that gap. And I've kind of said to myself, now that life is a little bit more settled, this is the year to do it. So yeah. I've made that commitment to myself and I will be quite devastated if I make that commitment to myself, but I don't get the results of that commitment, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I don't even know how to wrap up this episode. Um, do you have anything you want to say in particular, Brooke? No, that was such great questions. And, yeah, if you haven't already, come and join us over at the Facebook group. Let it be. But, yeah, thank you, that guys. That was fun. Thank you, Kel, Yeah, for... that's all right. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually, like, forgot all about it because I was all a bit stressed out about Federer playing in the Australian Open final. <laughs> we got to, like, 8 o'clock last night. I was like, oh, my God, we're recording tomorrow and I haven't asked the questions. So, Thanks so much to everyone um, in the Let It Be group for coming to the party so quickly. And as we said, asking such really great questions. Feel free to come and ask some more in the group once this episode airs. We are obviously always willing and happy to answer questions in the group. And if you have any ideas or things that you would like us to discuss in future episodes, come and do it there as well. So yes. just, um, I think it's facebook.com slash groups slash let it be pod. Yep. Thank you for listening to our first 50 episodes and we look forward to another 50. The next 50. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let It Be. If you want to connect with Kelly or myself, you can find us on social media. Kelly is at Kelly Exeter on Twitter. And on Facebook, if you search for A Life Less Frantic, you will find her there. And on uh, Twitter, I'm at Brooke McCallery. And on Facebook, I'm at Slow Your Home. And uh, if you wanted to either reach out to us on Twitter, you can use hashtag Let It Be Pod. Or uh, head over to letitbe.fm and you can find our show notes and other information about the show. Uh, Finally, if you wanted or felt, you know, the desire to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And, um, you know, we we read them all and we appreciate you taking the time to listen and then uh, tell us what you think. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.